Over 280 million people live outside their home country. International migration raises difficult ethical and political issues for policymakers. What do we know about these issues and what policies exist to address them? Welcome to Across Borders, a podcast on global migration politics. In this second season, we examine the transnational governance of refugee protection, the rise of anti-migration parties and the evolution of citizenship policies. We pay specific attention to climate-induced migration and gender. The podcast is produced by the master's students at the School of Transnational Governance in collaboration with the Migration Policy Center at the European University Institute. Welcome to Across Borders with Alexander Giancola and Marissa Brophy. 24 countries today have policies in place that deny women equal national rights to citizenship compared to men. Women are limited in passing their citizenship to their children and foreign spouses. Many of these policy practices occur in Middle Eastern and North African countries. Today, we are looking at how these sexist policies implicate the citizenships of the children of female citizens. What barriers do female citizens' foreign husbands face without citizenship? What has been done or can be done to equalize national citizenship between genders? And finally, how can academic research answer these questions? The Middle Eastern countries, Bahrain, UAE, and Saudi Arabia all have various levels of strict policies in place that discriminate between the citizenship rights of men and women. In all three countries, the principal mode of acquiring citizenship is through descent, specifically through the person's father, regardless of place of birth. In the UAE, a child can receive citizenship through his or her mother if the father is unknown or stateless, or if the father's relationship to the child cannot be legally confirmed. In Bahrain, there are similar laws in place if the father's relationship cannot be legally established and the child receives Bahrainian citizenship through his or her mother. A similar policy is established in Saudi Arabia, but it is unknown how it applies in practice. Today, we are speaking with Zeneb Alasbe to discuss the gender inequalities in citizenship that some Middle Eastern countries impose through their policies. Zeneb is a PhD candidate at the School of Social and Political Science at the University of Edinburgh and is a country expert for the Global Citizenship Observatory at EUI, of which he has wrote multiple reports for and has published a book chapter on citizenship in Bahrain in the book, The Middle East in Transition, The Centrality of Citizenship. Thank you, Zeneb, for joining us today to understand the implications of the Gulf states' citizenship policies. Your research has focused specifically on the citizenship in Gulf countries. Do these countries resemble each other in their citizenship regimes? Do you think the citizenship regimes in the Gulf states are unique insofar as how gendered it is? Um, and if so, why? If not, are you able to draw some similarities elsewhere? Uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me here. Um, so yes, uh, I'm interested in citizenship and the Gulf region, um, particularly looking at the six Gulf states or the six uh, member states of the Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, which are Bahrain, Kuwait, Oman, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates. So to your question about like. Yeah, their citizenship regimes. Um, they are similar uh, in that they all uh, restrict women's right to transfer their citizenship uh, to their children. 
uh, they don't have like equal right for their female citizens as they have um, yeah compared with their male citizens to confer citizenship to their children. Um, at the same time, there are some differences between them. Um, so some of the states, for instance, allow uh, women to transfer the citizenship to their children if the father is stateless, such as in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, uh, while other of the Gulf countries do not. And if they are unique, uh, well, historically, actually, most of the states have had gender discriminatory laws, uh, so there have been a development towards ending gender discriminatory citizenship laws. And even in the Middle East, we have seen uh, such reforms uh, during the last two decades, uh, where countries such as Egypt and Morocco and Tunisia have ended um, or actually provided their, citizens, their female citizens uh, equal right to transfer their citizenship to their children. While other states have not, such as the six Gulf states, um, but they are not alone because they are in the world today still 24 countries in total who um, don't give their female citizens uh, equal right to transfer the citizenship to their children. So in the UAE, children of Emirati women and foreign fathers cannot apply for Emirate citizenship until they are six years old. How does this influence the children's lives until they can obtain citizenship? So comparing with the rest of the Gulf states, uh, the UAE is actually the state uh, which is less restricted, um, like when it comes to children of female citizens' uh, right to, to acquire the citizenship, uh, because of that they actually can apply for citizenship when the child turns six years old. Uh, while in the other uh, Gulf states, you, the children have to wait, um, usually for the most part, until they reach the majority age, which is like 18 or 21 years old. But absolutely, like citizens or children without citizenship in a country do not have the same rights as children or with the citizenship. Like how it can influence the children's lives, it can be different. Um, the access to healthcare, the access to to free education or cheaper access to, to kindergarten or nursery can be something. Even though the UAE actually uh, just announced in this, this summer, this last summer, that they will provide all children of Emirati women uh, a core right to education and healthcare uh, compared with uh, their citizens. Um, so we see there are some development uh, in this regard too. There is a growing number of uh, Emirati female citizens marrying non-citizens. However, the law does not allow an Emirati uh, wife to transfer her citizenship to her foreign husband. Thus, what barriers does the foreign husband face after migrating to the EUA and marrying a female citizen? Um, so the foreign husband will be treated as a foreigner, uh, and in the Gulf states, it implies that a foreigner who lives in a Gulf state need to have a sponsor for residency in the country. So in most cases, like for migrant workers, it, ha- it is the employer who um, has to yeah, be the sponsor of, of um, the foreigner person. Uh, in the case of a foreign husband, the woman can, um, yeah, for instance, husband of, a, for instance, an Emirati woman, the Emirati woman can stand as a permanent sponsor of, of his residency in, in the country. 
which means that um, yeah, his residency in the country is dependent on the woman. Uh, so in cases of divorce or um, the woman's death, this can have an implication on the husband's wife. This can have consequence on the husband's right to stay in the country. Looking at another Gulf state, what are the implications for gender inequality between Saudi men and women in passing their citizenship to their children? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the inequality is that um, Saudi men married to foreign women can transfer the citizenship to their children uh, regardless of the birthplace of the child. While for a Saudi woman who are married to a foreigner or a stateless man, um, she don't have the same uh, right to confer her citizenship on to her children. Um, and in the Saudi Arabia case, there are uh, actually a quite high number. Um, I think from 2015, there was a public uh, figure that up to 700,000 Saudi women are married to, uh, to foreign men. So the implication of this is that their children uh, do not have equal right to health care, to education, to apl- employment uh, while they reside in Saudi Arabia. Their residency in the country, both for the children of the Saudi yeah, woman and for their husband, is also dependent on a sponsorship that the woman can actually stand as a, a sponsor of, of her children. There have been like some providing of rights to this group, the children of Saudi women and Persian fathers, for instance, that they have access to work in the private sector. Um, but at the same time, there is also this vulnerability that if the, uh, the woman dies, uh, the sponsorship of her children can end and uh, they will need to find another sponsor. In your report, you discuss how the UAE's ongoing consolidation of federal power serves um, as conditions that enable the growth of a stateless population. Are you able to elaborate on uh, what implications this has specifically for women and their safety? Yes, so I recently co-authored a report on citizenship law um, in the UAE for the Global Citizenship Observatory. Uh, it's co-authored with Joanna Kosmova. What we write in the report is uh, about the topic of how uh, several scholars have pointed on that the Emirati authorities have um, provided members of the stateless population passport from the Comoros by an agreement with the, with the authorities in Comoros, uh, which means that the stateless in the UAE, they are transferred from stateless to Comoros passport holders, so they become regarded as foreigners in the United Arab Emirates. And among them is, is both like women and men, um, which they uh, will still be like de facto stateless because they don't have any citizenship rights in Comoros, even though they hold the passport of, of the country. In the UAE, they will be regarded as foreigners, so that also means uh, within our subject, if an emeritus woman marry a Comoros passport holder, who are de facto stateless, but yeah, hold another citizenship, she will, for instance, not have the right to 
confer on her citizenship to her children because their child father is not regarded as stateless but also but a foreigner. You elaborated a bit before on Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. but also how does this? What are these implications for a country like Bahrain? Mm-hmm. So the Gulf states in general do not have a legal safeguard against statelessness. We see some exceptions uh, when it comes to children of of national women, uh, and that's like according to the citizenship laws in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, um, a female citizen who marry a stateless person, she can transfer her citizenship to her children. Uh, this legal safeguard is not in place in other Gulf states, such as Kuwait and Bahrain, uh, which will have this implication of that if a woman marries a non-citizen, or a, a stateless person in particular, she will not be able to transfer her citizenship and uh, the children will not have access to any other citizenship from their father's side, so the children will also end up as stateless. This can also happen in cases where the woman actually yeah, marries, uh, for instance, a Bahraini, uh, but who later are denaturalized, which means that his citizenship is revoked, uh, which have happened in recent years between 2012 and 2019, almost 500 uh, men, and mostly men, have been deprived of their citizenship and are still deprived of their citizenship. So in these cases, the women who are married to Bahrainis, but without the Bahraini citizenship because they are denaturalized, uh, they cannot transfer the citizenship to their children, which means that their newborns, the children who are born after the citizenship revocation, will not be able to obtain the Bahraini citizenship. And also in the Kuwaiti case, uh, which have a large stateless population, the Badoons, as they are known as a Kuwaiti woman who are married to, to a Badoon, um, her children risk to become stateless uh, yeah, when born. So there, as you showed us, there's many different implications for not being able to obtain citizenship in different countries. Why would you say that it's important to look at this citizenship access and the processes surrounding it through a gendered lens specifically. Because as we see, access to citizenship and the processes to citizenship can differ on several dimensions, and one of them is, is certainly, certainly gender and the sex of a person. And in the world today, there are still um, 24 countries which still discriminate against women uh, in their ability to transfer citizenship to their children. Um, and this has serious implication uh, for the woman, for her children, um, for the family in total. And it's important to, um, to shed light on the implications and the consequences of such gender discriminatory citizenship laws. Now looking at the issue and implications of women being discriminated against Uh, in their ability of passing their citizenship to their spouses and children. Can you offer any insight as to how or if these gender citizenship laws are becoming any less or more discriminatory? So we see a development globally uh, towards uh, that less country discriminate against women in their ability to confer citizenship to their children. Just 20 years ago, even like most of the Middle East discriminate against women in this issue. But we see that um, several countries, particularly in North Africa, have changed their law and reformed their law. Uh, So there are like a tendency towards less discriminatory 
citizenship laws globally. And one reason for that is that there are uh, demands and calls to end gender discriminatory citizenship laws, both by international actors and organizations, such as the Global Campaign for Equal Nationality Rights. But we also see that local activists and organizations and network work uh, towards ending uh, gender discriminatory laws and the right of women to, to transfer her citizenship to her children. For instance, we have seen online campaigns in most, most Gulf states, um, yeah, on Twitter and so on, where users of these platforms um, call for, for the right of women to transfer their citizenship to their children. And these like, campaigns uh, or calls for reforms have had some effect, predominantly by that the children of national women have been granted, predominantly by granting children of female citizens more rights who are usually just restricted to, to citizens, such as free health care, free education, also the right of employment in, in particularly the private sector. But the right of citizenship acquisition have so far still been limited. Uh, even here we can see that um, states such as the United Arab Emirates have eased the restriction in some way, uh, for instance, by providing the right of facilitated naturalization or more easy way of becoming a citizen when the child is six years old. If a country sees a lot of migrants coming in, do you think that could have an impact on citizenship policies? So part of the explanation which have been provided on why some states, including in the Gulf or particularly in the Gulf, um, have been so restricted on their citizenship policies is because of a demographic imbalance between citizens and non-citizens. Uh, where we see, particularly in the UAE and in Qatar, that um, up to nine out, out of ten have uh, a foreign background or is migrant worker. In this context, some scholars point to the fact that the government also try to protect the small number of citizens that they have in the country. In this way, migration and the number of migration have an effect on citizenship policies. The calculations that the state make on if we open or for more grants to acquire the citizenship, which effect will this have when thinking of the native population? Thank you, Zainab, for your time. So, what have we learned today? There is persisting gender discrimination in access to citizenship in Gulf countries. In many cases, women cannot defer their citizenship to their child despite being born in that country. Restrictive conditions for citizenship can also increase statelessness, determining the level of access to state services one can have. For example, access to health care, education, and other welfare services are exclusively accessible to citizens. The female citizen acts as a sponsor when their spouse is a foreigner or if their child's father is a non-citizen, which then forces the spouse and the child to be reliant upon her for their legal standing in the country. We also discussed how migration patterns have the ability to influence government's approach to citizenship and particularly the level of restrictiveness. If there appears to be an influx of migrants coming in, governments may implement more restrictive policies as a response. Recent changes have occurred for a few countries. UAE, 
has recently changed the age of the child to access their mother's citizenship, which has been lowered to six years old. Looking forward, we are also seeing trends of activism in these countries from women wanting to be able to pass their citizenship onto their children and generally have equal access to that of men. Following this interview, we understand the impact of government control over the provision and revocation of citizenship which dictates the ability to be in the eyes of the state and the genderness of such control that is still quite prevalent today. You have been listening to Across Borders. Our podcast has been produced by Costanza Bindi, Marissa Profi, Pierre Canet, Alexandra Giancola, Ada Sofia Han, Tiala Ofanga, Carolina Comel, Mbali Mozoneng, Kut Niang, Elin Sazak, Esteban Scuzzarello, Charles Thorron, Diana Usmanova, and Frederick Wallin. Supervision by Lorenzo Piccoli and Susanna Garside. Audio design, music, and editing by Andrius Romashka.